Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Biff Bites Podcast. I am joined in the studio today uh, by my two faithful co-hosts, Mr. Adam Shear. How's it going, Adam? Uh, wonderful, Jerry. How are you? Excellent, excellent. And also, Mech, the Biff Man Long, <laughs> in the flesh. Mech. <laughs> Mech. Mech. Hey, uh... You need to get him to upgrade the snacks in the green room. Just, you know, just didn't need to be part of the podcast, but, you know, I, I we could use some better snacks. You, you get the rider of, you know, the bag of M&Ms with all the green ones removed and, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to talk about that, uh, you know. All right, we're gonna we're, we'll upgrade your rider. <laughs> All right. uh, well, we are back for round three of our draft series. Uh, we are fantasy drafting all of the topics in the CFP board's curriculum, uh, basically just on you know what we feel is most important for you to know going into the CFP exam. You know, if you could only uh, study a fair few topics. These are the ones that we feel are the most important for you to tackle. And we're going to fight over the scraps to uh, see who gets the uh, the strongest team of topics uh, assembled. So we uh, This is round three. We did general principles and investments in some previous weeks that you can check out on uh, BiffBites.com. And uh, I think we have a pretty spicy one today. We're covering investments. Yeah, Jerry, I feel like this is this is wheelhouse for you, my friend. I, I feel like we've we've all had to do a little bit of extra research this past week. I I feel I already had a really strong team coming out of insurance, but uh, this is where I'm cinching it. This is this is where I get the all star team together. Well, we'll we'll, we'll see we'll see about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so without further ado, should we uh, should we start it up? Let's go again. All right, so we are going to be snake drafting, uh, and I believe it is my turn to go first. You bet. And I, you know, surprise, surprise on no one, I'm keeping it close to the chest. I'm picking off the calculator. Once again, calculator MVP can't beat it, but I'm going to be focusing on bond uh, calculations with the calculator. Uh, super important topic for the exam. Uh, we see it tested on again and again and again. Every single cycle, I have students tell me that they got, you know, various different versions of bond calculations. And uh, it's not really a surprise because there's a there's a lot of different ways the CFP board likes to test on it. You know, you could solve for yield to maturity. You could solve for yield to call. You could solve for intrinsic value. You know, you could solve for uh, durations, uh, you know, price change of bonds. There's a lot of different ways that they can kind of twist the questions around and get some really good questions out of it while still just revolving around that same key topic of just bond calculator questions. So it's no surprise it gets very heavily tested on. Yeah, come on, enough with the calculator. It reminds me of Bubba <laughs> on on Forrest Gump talking about shrimp. You got this shrimp, that shrimp, got this shrimp calculator. gumbo, shrimp jambalaya. The calculator is the shrimp of the CFP world. <laughs> it is very flexible. It goes in many dishes. <laughs> yeah, you just can't have a whole team of calculators, though. Just like you can't have a whole team of kickers. I disagree. I think you can. <laughs> I think you can. 
Uh, Jerry, this this is this makes me a little fearful because I I thought you and I were clear in our chat GPT <laughs> episode that like the robots we we really don't want to partner up with them too much, and this this is starting to get into weird some weird territory here with your team. It seems very AI driven. I welcome our overlord, <laughs> uh, our AI overlords. <laughs> it, it, I uh, I'm with you. That that's a that's a fine pick. I think it's less shrimp. I think it's more meat and potatoes. Like this is this is a heater right down the middle. Oh, right. Please. It's, it's also you <laughs> know, right there in the in the bread basket, right? I mean, this this is this is the stuff you're gonna see. It's also it's just it's comforting, it's reassuring, you know, like the memes, you know, math is math, you know. You mm-hmm. know when you get a math question right, and you know when you get a math question wrong. There's no there's no guessing really about it or you know, second guessing yourself. Did I really answer it the correct way? You know, you know when you get a math question right, and you know when you type it into the calculator and it spits out a bunch of random numbers, you know you got that one wrong. So well, that's a good point. It's but nice and reassuring. Bad. It's it's like a security blanket. all right then we'll let you have that one excellent and uh with that mike it's your turn you're up really Um, yeah oh wow so it's been a couple of weeks since we did this and i haven't been able to sleep because i was so excited uh about (laughs) my my first pick and and really had we done this randomly not you know by core topic if it had just been overall of all of the cfp topics what would your first draft pick be? This is it. This is now listen. This is it. Efficient market hypothesis or theory. Mm-hmm. Strong form. Whoa. Just whoa. You, you, I, I mean, you are you are the king of strong form, uh, Mike. You you love your random walk down Wall Street. I, I've been on a random walk for <laughs> for almost 65 years. And it's beautiful, baby. It's just beautiful. You can't beat the market. It's a random walk. It doesn't matter whether you've got technical analysis in there, whether you have fundamental analysis in there, whether you have insider information. The average investor cannot beat the market. So EMH strong. I've got a line of shirts coming out in the fall, (laughs) and I'll comp you guys a couple of them. But we need to promote this. This is going to be a movement. It's it's going to be a movement. It just blows my mind, though. It blows my mind. You know, even with insider information, even while con- committing a felony, you uh, still don't think you can uh, you can beat the market. That's right. That's right. I believe it's already priced in there for the average <laughs> investor before they would ever get a hold of it. Uh, so it really isn't all that inside if it's already been been uh, uh, been priced in. So that's that's just. That that's just the best pick of the whole draft, right there oh, is the MVP. Man, so when we pick when we draft pick felonies, Mike's going with robbing a bank versus uh, insider trading. <laughs> that more profit <laughs> potential there. <laughs> That'd be a another nickname, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's sticky fingers long. <laughs> United States versus Mike Mac Long. AKA oh, yeah. sticky fingers. Sticky fingers. <laughs> All right. You can you can have strong form, Mike. Strong you can have form. strong form. That's where it's you at. Know, efficient market hypothesis is is pretty important. Um, you know, I think there's some other things in there too, but you know, we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. I appreciate your endorsement on my pick. All I knew right. you'd come around. <laughs> and we're snake drafting. So uh Adam, you get two picks in a row. All right, fabulous. Mike, your your pick makes me want to 
go and, and hide under the curve, the distribution curve. Oh, <laughs> this this is uh, where it's at, folks. The bell curve. That's uh, standard trolls deviations. Live. Trolls and, live beneath the curve. <laughs> if, if we if we want to be relatively precise about how likely a stock is going to get certain uh, returns in a given year, given their profile, the distribution curves where it's at. This is where I'm going first. And um, and let's let's keep it clean here, folks. All right. The X bar is is the mean. OK, that's just the mean average return. And we were able to build out our standard deviation markers. Uh, sometimes you're going to have to do that. So I think one of those those calculator skills, Jerry, I mean, if, if yeah. you agree here, yeah. is uh, how do we use our calculators to get to standard deviation uh, using the keystrokes, whether we're talking about the 10, 10B2 or, or the 12C. Um, but really, this is about just mapping out the information that's given to you and also knowing the probability between the different standard deviations, right? So the numbers you're going to want to memorize, uh, 68, 95, 99. Uh, this is, this is something that's key. This is one of those things that I just, I would, I would just draw out when I was studying for this exam and I was, you know, re feeling really prepared. And I saw one of those questions. I knew that I could, I could smack it out of the park. So distribution curve pick number one for, for team Adam. I, I can respect that because I was kicking myself because when I was in high school, I was just like, man, I'm never going to need to need to know this. And so I slacked on statistics hardcore in high school, <laughs> thinking it would never come up. And then lo and behold, you know, uh, a decade later, I'm studying for the CFP exam and I'm realizing, man, I actually need to know this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think it's highly testable uh, to get at least at least one. And it's been interesting, Jerry, maybe you can speak to this on the uh, capstone course. Uh, yep. There's a question in there about it. And a lot of students don't recognize that it's this under the curve thing. Great. So I, for those who don't know, uh, I grade the capstones here at Biff, And uh, I would say probably 75% of students get that question wrong and, and do not wow. know because it, it doesn't explicitly say to say, say the standard deviation. It says, you know, what is the probability of XYZ stock performing less than, you know, negative 5% in a year? And using the standard deviation bell curve, you can tell exactly what that is. And I can't, if I had a nickel for every time a student to tells me past performance can't predict future results, <laughs> like, well, sure, that's a nice disclosure, but uh, you can actually predict it using the standard deviation bell curve here. And that's what I want you to do. So no copping out with that, uh, that lame answer. <laughs> and I think it's important to note, though, with that is when you see that language, in an exam question, know that that's what they're talking about. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I did exactly like Adam did. I drew, I drew it out, did the little curve and you know, the mean in the middle and then three to the left, three to the right. And, and you can get really fast with drawing it out. And yeah, yeah. one of those where you absolutely know you nailed it. If you've got those percentages memorized, which is not that tough, right. Then, you know, you got that one, right. Yeah, I would say the other uh, problem uh, that students run into with the bell curve and standard deviation is just conceptualizing, figuring out the different percentages based on reducing, based on the other, you know, oh, if, they, if these are 32% and I divide that in half, well, that means half of it is 16%. Sure. That, that seems like very simple, common things, but for a lot of students, they just can't wrap their head around that. And uh, I think back to like how I learned it 
back in uh back in high school was we had like uh chocolate bars that you would divide up and you know add them together and split them apart and you know that's how you would actually conceptualize you know taking pieces out of the bell curve and figuring out you know what is the probability of that piece actually happening mm-hmm. well maybe that's what we should use in class then yeah you know, we start that's sending out chocolate happening. bars with all of the uh <laughs> all of the textbooks and say hey don't eat this you're gonna need this in week four <laughs> when we cover growing list of biff swag right yeah. the biff, biff bar <laughs> biff bar <laughs> That's a pretty strong pick. I wish I had. I wish I had picked picked that one, but not first. Maybe that would have been my second pick. It's a it's a strong pick, but not as strong as strong form. Is That's that, right. Is that what you you're can't saying? get stronger than strong. <laughs> can't get stronger than strong. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Excellent. All right. All right that's... Pick number two. Okay, so here we're we're going a little bigger picture. Um, I'm I'm gonna go with systematic and unsystematic risks for investment. Okay. Uh, it's all is coming down to what can you diversify away and what is just built into the system? What's built into the marketplace when you, when you invest and uh, specifically just looking at what those prime risks are, right. And, and, and knowing that with those P R I M E, right. Um, purchasing power, reinvestment rate, interest rate, market, and exchange rate risks, that uh, those are going to just be a a part of the system. Those are non-diversifiable. And what this is going to allow you to do is, first of all, pick off a a really quick question, like just a one-off question about whether or not something is diversifiable. That's kind of, that is, is ground zero for this. But then as you go deeper into building some of those portfolios, uh, it's going to be helpful to be mindful of those risks. And also comparing that, remember, we, we don't want to lose sight of the client and, and making sure that we have the suitable portfolio for the client. And this is just one of those core components of building a good portfolio. So systematic, unsystematic risks. And that is my second pick, fellas. Pretty good. You've been, you've been doing some research the last couple of weeks. You got your staff hard at work. I do, yeah. We're we're working OT here. We just knew we knew we were coming up against a, a really really tough set here with with Jerry leading the charge. Pick one investments, uh, Mike. I mean, obviously you're leading strong. So that's right. Yeah, man. <laughs> you got a strong bench. <laughs> that's pretty good. And then you're reminding me of questions with this too, where you get a question and it gives you some preferences or concerns of the client and then the exam question is so what do you do with the money you know so understanding those risks can come back into that kind of question of what we're trying to avoid here which which of those four answers matches best up based on the risk comments that are made in the question stem Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely it's also just a really good one to practice because while it seems so straightforward you know systematic versus unsystematic when you're in the stress of the uh, testing center you get those terms flip-flopped and you're like, well, was it this one again? Or is it that? Is it unsystematic mean non-system system based? Or does that, you know, what is it? And it's just, it's just one of those topics that's really easy to confuse unless you have this thing down cold, you know, more than just looking at it once. Like this is kind of key flashcard topic area. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, he's putting up uh he's putting up a challenge today, Jerry. So 
Yeah, well, you, you got you got to follow it up, Mike. Your your pick is next. How are you? Gonna, yeah, how are you going to come off with that strong pick? Isn't it amazing that I don't remember the order? Uh, <laughs> snake draft. I'm thinking of beer. <laughs> you know, draft beer. Snake me one of those drafts, baby. Um, okay. Uh, all right. So almost as excited for this second pick. So hang on here. My second pick, and, and this is just in case the strong form would tweak a knee or, or something and, and, and be out uh, for a very short time. My second pick is EMH semi-strong. <laughs> semi-strong. <laughs> You're kidding, right? Able to fill in You're a couple of you. downs. You're just cloning picks now. You're just taking taking your uh, wide receiver. Totally different them. because in the strong form, nothing. All three, no technical, uh, yes, no fundamental, yes. no insider information. Semi strong says, okay, no technical, no fundamental. But hey, if you got some inside information, <laughs> I can outperform the market. So you're basically your pick one is you know committing a felony won't give you an edge. Your pick two is you know what maybe a little bit of felony is okay. <laughs> maybe that was a little yeah. too strong. Maybe he's he strong. It's semi. It's semi strong. So that uh you, you know, you gotta have a bench, guys. So so if you can't go all in on strong, maybe you maybe you'll play a semi strong. So but did you I, did you submit that t-shirt print order already for for your first pick? I'm just wondering. Oh yeah. Well, ten thousand. <laughs> I buy them in ten thousand lots. So oh yeah. Yeah, I, I'm starting a movement. I, I really am. It's like Alice's Restaurant in the 1960s with Arlo Guthrie started, you know, just with a couple of people, and then it grew to a movement. So, yeah, I'm on to something, guys. I'm on to something, and I'm willing to, you know, maybe cut you in a little bit. So uh, are you recommending, you know, six hours a day of studying semi-strong, seven hours a day? What What's your... What's your suggestion there, Mike? Well, uh, yeah, and even eight would be good, uh, you know, and uh, and then go for a walk and maybe hit it again. So I, I just think that this is this is the center of the universe for investments, and it merits that kind of attention. But not a random walk here, right? No, like this here was, you have your GPS on. So sort of. I mean, he's kind okay. of random, but he might have had a direction in mind when he started out semi uh semi semi strong is kind of like the the drunken stumble down wall street you know you know where you're going but you might not be very good at getting there (laughs) or knowing when you've arrived right (laughs) (laughs) so uh so really second pick semi strong okay yeah really absolutely okay right okay all right Uh well with that I am going to you know pick two is always my meta pick guys I'm meta gaming here uh and with that I am choosing a topic that is probably pretty foreign to most students coming into the review um but it's one that is heavily heavily tested on so you got to learn it fast and that is trainer sharp and Jensen ratios super important for the exam. I don't think I've ever seen an exam cycle where they did not ask about either trainer sharper and Jensen, how to solve it, how the formulas work, but also more importantly is just knowing the shortcut 
and how R squared interacts with these three ratios and how you can use that shortcut to get the answer to the questions quite easily. In fact, this shortcut is so kind of prevalent in the CFP exam prep course universe that the CFP board has even started metagaming us right back and, and making you solve for R squared first in these questions before they let you use the shortcut because we just got too good at uh, you know answering these questions by using the R squared shortcut. And because of that, I'm adding it to my team because it's one of those I can pretty much guarantee you, you are going to get a question on trainer Sharper Jensen on your exam, no matter when you take it. Yeah, that's a good pick. We might want to talk trade down, down the road. Cause you're going to want more of my picks. So yeah. I'm cause, cause you, you basically have two of the same for picks one and two, Mike, is that why you got, you got backups. You were just looking for draft fodder. Is that it? <laughs> not the same, not the same. And, you know, I'll add to that uh, question uh, in the exam pool of which of those three is an absolute uh, measurement. That's true. Good old alpha slash Jensen, if you're a member of the Jensen family. (laughs) A for alpha. uh, That's been a standalone exam question, Uh, whereas trainer and sharp are both relative uh, measures. So you got to know them theoretically. And then of course they're provided formulas if you got to drop the math, but you shouldn't be intimidated with that. Yeah. The math is actually very, very simple. People get very, you know, thrown off and they kind of freeze up when they think they have to do math. But if you look at the formulas themselves, it's really just some basic addition, subtraction and division. It's, it's not any more complicated than that. Yeah. And you, you look at these three, the trainer and sharp formulas look really similar and it's it's actually when you look closer pretty easy to to, to separate the two yep right so both are used for comparisons which one on a risk adjusted basis is the best investment or best portfolio to go with given the amount of risk that you're taking and uh like you so talked we are about looking, do i remember this right we we're looking for the highest number for in each of those for sure. Yeah. Yep. yeah. If we had to do them all. Okay. Yeah. yeah as far as and, like which one's best. And yeah. that reliability piece too, Jerry, I think is so important here because you get that R squared and if it's not reliable, well, then you have to look to the total risk. You have to, what, what's your saying, Mike, about the, uh, the total risk with sharp when doubt be sharp. <laughs> awesome. Good stuff. And strong. Yeah. And, strong. <laughs> and strong. Sharp and strong. <laughs> Oh boy. But yep. That is, that is my pick. Uh, you know, guaranteed that uh, you're going to get one of those questions. So yeah. spend that time. It is going to take a little bit of a work. It is usually an area most students struggle on. Uh, but once you put some effort into it, it, it does really click and, and make a lot of sense. Great pick. Pretty solid. Really, yep. really solid one. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, it's snake draft. So it's my turn once again. I am rounding out my team real strong with my favorite topic overall uh, in the entire curriculum. You know, if I could only have teach one topic uh, forevermore, this would be the topic I would choose. Uh, I'm the weirdo masochist who loved this section on the series seven exam. And I loved it just as much on the CFB exam. And that of course is options contracts and their suitability. Uh, you know, just it's one of those another one of those evergreen topics gets tested all the time. 
It should be something a lot of people are already familiar with because of the series seven. But I think it's one of those things that is also like one in one year out the other. As soon as they leave the testing center for the series seven, they instantly forget all of this stuff. And now they have to learn it all over again for uh, the CFP exam. But, you know, it's something that's really, really interesting. And it's something that if you start incorporating into your own training portfolios, it becomes second nature. You know, these these things are very complicated. It is hard to wrap your head around at first because it seems like there's all these sort of double negatives and hedging and buying puts and selling calls and doing all these contradictory trades that you would normally think of. Uh, but by doing so, you get some really powerful options, you know, pun intended, <laughs> uh, where you can, you know, hedge your portfolio or you can make some money or you could, uh, you know, uh, do a little speculative investing without having to put uh, as much capital up front. And knowing the suitability and who those different trades are right for and what clients are going to use those types of trades is a very testable topic. CFP board loves asking questions using options, and it's definitely worth it for you to spend a little bit of time and unlock those core memories from Series 7 land and remember how all this stuff works together. Yeah, that's a good one. And it's another one of those topics that they can come at us on the exam, either conceptual, uh, you know, what would you recommend here or make us do math and, and calculate an in, intrinsic value uh, of an option. So there's, there's two sides to it that we have to understand to, you know, handle the handful of questions that we might see on, on options. Mm -hmm. A lot of different angles here, but then, solid pick because you have so many different paths to go down like you'd mentioned and uh intrinsic value is one i wanted to add in into the mix here too yeah right yeah they could ask you to calculate intrinsic value they yeah. could ask you to say you know does little old you know 90 year old grandmother client need to do you know naked call selling you know probably not but you know <laughs> maybe some other clients do so uh, what's right there, uh, things like even taxation of options that gets tested on as well. You know, when, when are you going to get taxed on them? When's it going to be long-term? When's it going to be short-term? Um, even things like wash sales, wash sales and options come up uh, pretty frequently as well. Yeah, there's lots of different spokes of the wheel that you can go down when it comes to options contracts. Um, you know, definitely has its uh, fingers in a lot of different pots. <laughs> So let me ask you this, Jerry. Some let's say a student is, it doesn't work with this every day. I mean, they have they have their uh, series seven, so they had to to know enough to pass that at one point. But they haven't really worked with it a lot. For that student, what's the best practice of tackling this? I mean, do you just start basic and understand what a put is and what a call, and advance the thinking from there, or how how would you coach that? Yeah, I always start with the options box, uh, which is kind of a visual tool that we'll talk about where you draw out by, you know, you kind of, it looks like a little window pane, you know, like a little yeah. four pane window and you do buy, sell, call, put, and then you go down in the intersections and you know, okay, well, this one's bullish, this one's bearish. Um, that's where I would start for just conceptualizing, you know, at least what direction you want the market to go in, depending on what position you take. Um, and then the other thing after that I drive home to students is options is all about buying and selling the power. And the power in that case is the power to decide what to do. When you buy an options contract, 
you buy the power. You you are buying the right to decide whether you want to exercise this contract or not. And when you sell an options contract, no matter what side you're selling on, you are selling that power to someone else. So you basically have to decide, do I want the power to decide and you use it as a hedge against your portfolio? Or uh, do you want to sell that power and collect that premium and use that premium to supplement that income? And so if you identify just those two sides of it at first, it can really help you visualize uh, what the what the client's goal is. And that is really nine tenths of the suitability uh, right there. Once you get beyond that, now you just have to talk about risk. You know, is it a is suitable risk for that client to take? But that's where I would start. And then if you're looking to get a bit, a little bit more advanced from that, you know, kind of a level two option, you're getting into things like uh call or uh getting into straddles, spreads, iron condors, all that good stuff. Uh, then I recommend students, you know, actually uh, going to, I think like Yahoo Finance used to do it all the time. I don't know if they still do it, but there's dozens of websites out there that let you set up a paper trading account and just start doing paper trades for different options contracts and get an idea of how they work. Um, you know, you don't have to use real money. It's all kind of pretend monopoly money, but just by buying a bunch of different calls or selling puts or, you know, setting up some straddles, setting up some spreads, and then just seeing how market market movements affects that really helps you understand intrinsic value and how all of these pieces come together. So that would be my kind of level two recommendation for people to get into learning options. Good advice. And, and you hit this hard in the Biff review too, as, as you, as you mentioned. So yeah. don't, don't panic folks. If you're, if you're heading toward the exam with us and uh, you're going to get good, you're going to get good instruction on, on, on all of this. It comes very easily for Jerry. For a lot of us, it does not, but just know that we've got you covered. Uh, yeah. for real, real, probably one of my most popular classes I teach is uh, I actually break out and I, I break out my statements in my options account and I just show real world examples of options trades. And, you know, I don't hold back. I show my losers <laughs> just as much as I show my winners and show you guys, you know, the risks involved and how these things can turn against you, even if you're not expecting them to. Yeah. What better way to show people the application of this than to show them the application of it? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And and with that said, Jerry, I I'm just going to reiterate this. I so feel for your tax professional. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With that all these options. Mind. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. We talked about that in a, in a episode a while ago that I gladly hand, you know, TurboTax $150 <laughs> of my money every year, literally just for that import feature. For oh my, my goodness. You know, 30 pages of uh, statements at the end of the end of the year. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Is Knowing TurboTax students... pretty good with it? Yeah, honestly, yeah. as soon as the IRS in, implements an import button on tax returns, I don't think I'll ever use TurboTax or anything else again. But yeah, they like I pay for them literally just because they take my PDF, you know, trading account statement and they import all of those line items. And you know, I'm I'm doing probably you know five or six uh, options trades a day because I'm doing lots of hedging. You know, I do a lot of spreads and straddles. And each one of those is two trades. So all of my trades get doubled. So if I do two trades a day, that's automatically four trades 
um uh, that is uh that is gonna get you know grow those line items really really quickly in those uh statements <laughs> wow and my eyes are crossing here but you know what what when you get in trouble with it and need representation before the irs we've got adam share yes. <laughs> right here on the panel he can he can speak to the it's irs right. on your behalf yeah that's actually a secret a secret benefit of uh doing options trading is the irs is gonna audit you and they're gonna look at it and go never mind i'm sure it's fine <laughs> i see you made 467 trades for a 67 cent profit so uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna say you're okay there <laughs> oh mike i don't i don't know that i don't know that we can speak after that <laughs> oh my goodness oh all right well that said, I'm I'm really thrilled for our students that they they're able to go to you, Jerry, and have you as a resource on this front because it's it's notoriously challenging, especially for those that don't have that background or don't have their sevens. So, uh, you in the Biff review, we got some just great stuff, great support from from your instruction and in the materials. So, uh, great place to really brush up on this stuff and be exam ready for sure. Mike, is it is it your turn again, my friend? Uh, is it uh, okay? So I thought a lot about this one, and I was tempted to to do one thing, but then you, you can't break up a trifecta. You 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 just can't. You got to keep the three amigos together. Uh, <laughs> You're not. So, so my third pick, and this this would come into play in case strong and semi strong are out for an extended period of time on the injured reserve uh, then coming into play would be EMH weak form EMH weak form third of that trifecta where's and- my flag I'm throwing my flag I, I, I got I have I have a Boston Celtics jersey here we'll, we'll throw that okay oh, get out of here you're throwing Ray it Allen, now. Ray Allen jersey I'm throwing it we're gonna go to the review panel Mike this is this is out of line this is out of line. Let's I'm let's go. Shocked. Let's go to the review board right now. Let's give him a ring. Well, let me tell you what I think about that. And another thing, you you can you can take your challenge and and that's all I have to say about that. Well, except this. So there. I don't, Jerry, Jerry I don't, can we break the ja- draft for a moment to, to yeah. break to the review board on this one? Are you in agreement with me? I think so. I think I'm also going to have okay. to talk to the uh, FTC about uh, the language that was uh, demonstrated. We're going to have to I'm gonna throw some censorship on there. We're going to lose our sponsors. Hey, the market can be colorful. <laughs> you got to stay right. strong. Let's 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 get the review board on the line. Hello. Hi there. This is Adam from the Biff team i was just trying to reach the biff bites podcast review board for our snake draft yes this is the board what do you want well sir i appreciate your time and we wanted to bring a item up for review i thrown my review flag the boston celtics jersey down and uh the reason being is that mike long selected the emh uh with his what's wrong with that well there's Nothing wrong with the EMH. It's just that he used all his three picks on the three forms and instead of the hypothesis as a whole. Uh, So he selected strong form and then he selected semi-strong with his other pick and then weak form. And both Jerry and I agree that this shouldn't hold. 
Mike Long, why would you do this, Mike Long? This is the BitBytes podcast, Mike Long. This is a podcast for the CFP candidates. It's going to be confusing for them. As besides the fact, Mike Long, EMH has three forms, Mike Long, strong, semi-strong, and weak. But it's all under the umbrella. It's all under the umbrella, Mike Long. All under the umbrella of the EMH. That's one pick, Mike Long. That's my ruling. That's what stands here. I'm going to sign off on behalf of the Biff Bites Podcast Review Board. Thank you very much. Well, there you have it, guys. There, there's the ruling. <laughs> Supported by the, the Biff Review Panel, Mike. Th- this, this isn't going to hold. They're saying that it's all under EMH. It's one pick. Um, nice try. It was a nice try. <laughs> That's valiant effort. That is absolute. I don't know. I don't know why you're upset. You're actually getting essentially two extra picks now because you get, uh, you know, all three of your picks combined into one pick. All right. Well, so under protest, then uh, we'll have. <laughs> I'm a- only here so I don't get fined on this episode. Uh, <laughs> for full disclosure, okay. Well, while I appeal it, then I will go uh, with a second pick of. Um, I'm going to keep the word efficient in there. Efficient frontier, efficient frontier. This can be a slam dunk for exam points. You're going to get a graph and you're going to have portfolios plotted on the graph. Some will be right on the efficient frontier representing the highest return for a given level uh, of risk. And then you'll have some portfolios plotted below the line. They're attainable, but they're not efficient. And you'll have one or more portfolios above the line, which just says, hey, you can't get there. They're they're unattainable. So that one uh, is almost 100% on the exam. So I'll uh, I'll insert that. And then uh, the last one under protest, I will go with uh, margin calls. And uh, a couple of angles there. Uh, at what price uh, would a margin call uh, happen? And another way they might test it is how much money does the client need to come up with in the margin call? Those are two uh, pool questions. Those two picks are not as strong as the EMH lineup, but until I get it resolved through the proper channels, we'll go with those for now. How about that? You happy now? Uh, I actually, I'm glad you picked margin call because as someone who has received a few uh, margin calls over my trading career, um, (laughs) even the people who, because they call it a margin call because the firm literally calls you. They call you and say, hey, you screwed up. Give us more money. Even the people who are making those calls don't know how margin calls actually work. I know this from experience. The computers are telling us that you owe us $600. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, well, what happens if I liquidate this position? And they're like, uh, hold on. And then 20 minutes later, they come back. He's like, so I did the math. I'm like, yeah, I did the math too. I had it five minutes ago. I was waiting for you to come back so I could tell you it's fine. Please liquidate this position. I think we have a nickname happening here. Jerry, margin call me. Yeah. Yeah. MC. Jerry MC. Oh, but yes, please like MC lose Hammer. Your, please learn your margin calls, people, especially if you're going to be working in a margin department of a firm making margin calls out to clients. Because <laughs> you're gonna never know when you're gonna get some jerk like me on the other end of the line who knows how these actually work. <laughs> <laughs> and with, with margin calls in mind, one thing that we do recommend to students on 
on uh, their their last their their evening before exams, so that they could take their mind off of everything, right? Going there with a clear head is to uh, is to watch a show, something something that's unrelated to to CFP. The the film margin call should not be on that list because you don't want to be <laughs> deep into margin call investment stuff, you know, financial drama. Um, so that that's a that's a fun watch. There's some some tense scenes in that one. Uh, I, I learned everything uh, I needed for the exam. I guess this would have been more in futures or commodities from Trading Places. Yep. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, oh yeah, classic. Eddie, Eddie Murphy. They have big margin call at the end. Uh, I I will also say the dynamic duo of Vin Diesel and Ben Affleck in Boiler Room. That's another good uh, margin oh call uh, movie to watch. Uh, definitely recommend that one. <laughs> yeah. So you've got resources, friends. You've got resources to get you through those questions. Oh wow, that was a that was a long, strange trip there friends snaking we were snaking you're snaking and then uh adam i believe you're closing us out i am and and uh, feeling a little weary here guys don't have don't know how much i've left in the tank but i'm just gonna throw this out there i'm just going with with a vanilla pick here this is this is taking the kicker of portfolio design and investment allocations yeah yeah you know, it, it's it, here's the thing. We hear from students that these questions drive them nuts on the exam yeah. about figuring yeah. out how to match the right portfolio to the right client. And uh, there, there's a lot of people that say it's it's really subjective the way that the questions are lined up. And, you know, I I really think if you train your eye to see client profile age time horizon and get comfortable with with saying all right well roughly i'm gonna be in a moderate portfolio here and having some idea of what a moderate portfolio looks like right and not just a, a straight ahead 60 40 just what what are the components that could make that up and we want to we want to err more side more on the side of safety or you know what is the question giving you about the person how is that realized in the portfolio and um yeah, these are these are surprisingly tough, and everyone does their portfolio design differently. And especially if you're coming from a shop where they have their models that they use. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's just best to get a sense of your asset classes, knowing the benefits and and the down downside of of each of those classes, and how they can all be put together so that you're you're still diversified, right? But you're diversified and allocated in a way that's not going to put the client that they're describing at any unnecessary risk. And that ties in my previous pick too. So it's, yeah. it's related. Um, vanilla pick, but I, I do think that that's a, that's yeah. a nice, nice addition to my team there to wrap things up today, gents. Yeah. I, I, I like it. Yeah. Cause it, it, it seems like something, oh, well, that'd be easy. I can knock those out. And probably what'll happen is two of the four answer choices you'll knock out immediately. And then it's really hard. And that's where you got to be good at digging into that question and say, well, what knocks out one of those remaining two? So you got to practice it. And for you career changers uh, tackling the CFP exam before you've got a lot of experience with this, then you really need to be studying this and thinking about those uh, positions and combinations of risk and reward. 
to be able to knock out that third answer choice and be left with the right one. Yeah. I will also share some advice I got when I was sitting for the CFP exam is the CFP board tends to be much more conservative with portfolio balance than most people would usually associate with. You know, I remember one question on my exam was like, you have a client who has moderate risk. Uh, you know, what, what portfolio would be best for them? It was like a hundred percent gold, 50% gold and bonds, (laughs) 20% gold, 50% bonds and, you know, 30% large cap. And it was just like, I mean, honestly, none of these, but I guess I'll go with this one. (laughs) They, uh, they are very conservative and for whatever reason, just really like their precious metals at the CFP board. Uh, Well, that's good insight then, Jerry. Yeah. So uh, as, as it was presented to me when I was studying for it is when you get a portfolio uh, suitability question, just pretend every client is a, you know, 75 year old, very conservative uh, investor and, and you should do all right with that. Well, they're definitely going to show up on the exam. So that was a pretty good pick. Not as vanilla, maybe, as as Adam thinks. But I'm kind of feeling bad because I kind of smoked you guys today with my picks. And <laughs> Yeah, because oh, you got five hey. picks. You got two extra picks. <laughs> hey, hey, I didn't do the challenging. <laughs> I like how we yeah. challenge the board and, and uh, you know, Mike still comes out ahead despite getting ruled against. <laughs> I think this was all planned. Can I can I throw another flag and go to the board and ask and ask for the records? Mike, I, want, I want to know call records between Mike and the board. <laughs> Mike Moriarty uh, Long, just the master planner, you know, <laughs> twisting us behind the scenes, moving us like puppets. <laughs> one flag, you get one flag. So sorry, sorry. <laughs> this one's in the books. This this episode's in the books. All right. Well, that does it for this week. Uh, We will be continuing this process. We have some uh, interviews coming up for the next two episodes, but after that, we will be back at it uh, with Adam's uh, coup de grace, the tax section. Woo! Yeah! (laughs) Yes! So we will be back uh, with that episode in uh, three weeks time. And until then, if you're sitting for the November exam, uh, you know, come on down. If you haven't signed up for the Biff review yet, what are you doing? Classes are going to be starting up in just a couple short weeks. Wow. And uh, we can't wait to, you know, get started with all of our new students. Yeah, we got a good group forming up. It's going to be another. And we had a great cycle last cycle, too. So I'm anxious to build on that success with our new cohort coming in here soon yeah same great great experience last cycle and we got good momentum going into this one looking forward to it guys it's it's gonna be a lot of fun and and we kick things off actually we're recording this we're kicking things off tonight uh i know it won't be accurate by the time this goes live but that's what we're looking at looking forward to is welcoming everyone into the review talking about best practices how to get started how to how to study to pass this thing yeah new student welcome call happy hour tonight happy hour awesome all right yeah thank you very much and we'll see you all next week study on my friend